we have been walking through, if you're a first time here, it's great, glad to have you. We've been kind of walking slowly through the book of Philippians, and today we're going to be in chapter 3, and it's, the interesting thing about how God lines things up is, we, this is where we are, and in chapter 3 of Philippians, Paul begins to talk about some things that mothers would talk about. Basically, um, have joy in your life, uh, don't let people bully you, and hold on to what you believe. It's kind of what he talks about in Philippians chapter 3, and, and it's, it's sort of like, we've titled the message today, Motherly Advice, because it's motherly advice, it's what it is. Yesterday I was taking a walk, and um, mothers are great about this, they, they offer advice whether you want it or not, and um, I'm walking um, by this, this young man is driving, and uh, he, he pulls into his driveway, and I hear his mother get out and give him some advice. And it was this, put it in park or you're not going to pass your driver's test. Um, That and they were on a hill, so I'm pretty sure it was kind of like, but mothers give us advice. So uh, things like this, don't make that face, it might freeze like that. Anybody ever heard that one? Because mothers like that one. Close the door where you're raised in a barn, that's advice from mom. If everyone else is jumping off the cliff, are you going to do it? That's great mom advice. Um, There's a lid for every pot. Don't judge a book by its cover. If you fall out of that tree and break your leg, don't come running to me. That, that one is one I really like. Because it's so compassionate. You know, uh, it's the heart of a mother. And, and my favorite one is this. Always wear clean underwear in case. Finish it. You're in an accident, right? Always wear clean underwear in case you get hit by a bus. You ever hear that one? If you get hit by a bus, is clean underwear really what you're going to be concerned about? You have to wonder about this. If you saw the bus coming, how, how clean is your underwear going to stay? I mean, think about it. But mothers are offering this advice because they want the best for you. That's how, kind of how it works. Now, the, the, the funny thing about mothers, they're, they're an incredibly cautious bunch for the most part. Um, I'll let my kids do things that Miriam doesn't let them do and when Elise and I are alone she prays more because she knows I'm going to let her do stuff that if Miriam was around we'd have to sneak off to do it's kind of how it works and we live in a a very cautious world I mean we have smoke detectors we have uh, uh, other detectors you you have alarms I mean there's stuff everywhere in cars you have you know uh, all season tires and you wear seat belts and there are airbags and you have brakes and and there are warning systems and all those sorts of things. And, and mothers typically don't want you to learn from negative experience. I've never heard a mother say, see that? That's an outlet. Stick your finger in there. And then that's why you don't want to do that. You hardly ever see a mom doing that, learning from your mistakes. And so here we have in this text Paul, and he begins to talk about, hey, I want to give you some advice just so happens to be perfectly motherly advice. Even though he wasn't a mother, this makes some sense. So the first thing he says is, don't allow circumstances to steal your joy. Don't allow circumstances to steal your joy. Now look at what he says. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Now let's notice kind of three expressions here. Whatever happens... Rejoice in the Lord, 
to safeguard your faith. There's a reason that we have to continue to rejoice. This is sort of like your mom telling you to take vitamin C when you start talking about getting sick. My, my wife, if you tell her you have cancer, she's going to say, you should take some vitamin C. I, I mean, she really thinks that will cure everything. Take vitamin C. And so if any of us, I can walk in the house, and if I go, <laughs> she'll say, why don't you take some vitamin C? It's like, well, I don't want to take vitamin Well, it's, you know, it's, so this text is sort of the vitamin C of your soul. Whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord to safeguard your faith. Because here's the truth, and you know it as well as I do if you've lived any time at all. It's really easy to have joy when everything goes your way. When, when everything is kind of going your direction, when you're healthy, uh, when you have enough money, which for most of us isn't ever, uh, when, when, you, uh, uh, when your team wins, when your dancer wins on Dancing with the Stars, when your singer wins on The Voice, you know, when the person you're pulling for wins in the election, it's easy for us to have joy when things are going our way. It just is. And we have seasons where everything goes our way. Then we have seasons when whatever happens. Because whatever is going to happen. Whatever happens means when you get sick, when your kids get sick, when your kid throws up at 2 o'clock in the morning. When your parents age and now they need your assistance. When you get laid off. When there is a downturn in the economy. When the car breaks. When the hot water heater breaks. When whatever breaks. Whatever happens. And whatever does happen. And it happens to all of us. Now, good seasons, enjoy those. But understand, there are down seasons as well. Now, there, there was. Have you ever seen the... the, the the t-shirt people who um, have the Life is Good t-shirts. They, they, it's a couple of brothers that started this company. It's a multi-million dollar company today. And I, I read about them this week. They, um, they were in the elementary school and their parents were in a car accident. It was a pretty severe accident. And their dad lost the use of one of his limbs. I think it was his right hand. And so he then became a little harsh. And, and they talk about in this article, they wrote a book, by the way, but in this article they talk about how it was difficult around their dad because he was angry. You understand, I mean, you kind of put yourself in that place, and yeah, it's easy to be angry. But they talked about their mother in this book. And their mother around the dinner table, there were six kids, these two boys that started the company were the youngest two. Uh, the youngest is usually the, the brightest and best, uh, at least in my family. Uh, anyway, um, not my girls, wait a minute, if they're listening, I didn't mean that about you girls, I meant me personally. Okay, anyway, like they listen, <laughs> it's like it's crazy. Anyway, so these two youngest boys learned a lesson from their mom, and their mom at the dinner table every night would say, tell me something good that happened to you today. And, and they were forced to not complain or to be annoyed with life every meal they enjoyed life they, they talked about uh, the things that happened at school or they talked about something funny that somebody said and every night their mom helped them understand that life isn't always perfect life isn't always easy 
life is good. And they, they developed a company because their mother would say, what good has happened in your life today? Life is good. Not always easy. Certainly isn't perfect. But life is good. And it reflects this verse, if you think about it. Whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord to safeguard your faith. Now, now here's the deal. We choose how we respond to negative circumstances. And, and we choose what we do in life. And bad things are going to happen. We have a choice of how we respond to those negative consequences, those negative actions, those negative things. Sometimes it's not even something we brought, bring on. It just happens to us. We choose how we respond to it. There's an author by the name of Dallas Willard. Uh, he wrote a, a book called The Spirit of the Disciplines. And uh, Dr. Willard passed away a, a few years ago. But it's a great quote. And he, he writes, It's the responsibility of every Christ follower to carve out a satisfying life under the loving rule of God or else sin will start to look good. It's the responsibility, yours and mine, of every person who follows Christ to carve out a satisfying life under the loving rule of God. Even when bad things happen, even when things don't go our way. And the reason Paul says rejoice whatever happens is because rejoicing helps us. It prevents some things and it uh, promotes some things. Again, it's sort of the vitamin C of your soul. Rejoicing is the vitamin C of your soul. It it prevents us from complaining and griping and and being negative. But what it also does, it promotes some things. It helps us to realize that God's in control no matter what. It, It helps us realize that this life isn't all there is. There's a next life and I'm preparing for that life in this life. And it promotes some other things that I know that even this negative thing can be God working in my life. Because here's the truth. This is our idea for the day. Every challenge we face can, and I highlighted it for a reason, can serve to strengthen our faith. But it's our choice. Every negative thing that we go through, every challenge that we face can make us stronger. And some people, look, it's like the peak of a roof. If the rain falls right dead on the peak of the roof, it can go right or left. I mean, it can kind of go one way or the other. And when negative things happen in our life, it can, it can roll us toward God or away from Him. We choose which direction we go. And, and it can be for our benefit. Too many times we think if we're suffering that... Really, something bad is going on, like, like, we, like we have done something wrong. And, and I want you to look at this text. Difficulty shouldn't be a surprise. Look at how Peter writes this. Peter and Paul, they're friends. P- Peter writes, friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you, as if it's odd, as if nobody else is going through trials at all. Don't be surprised when bad stuff happens because bad stuff happens. Whatever happens. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in His suffering. They can create in us a different heart, a different life, a different spirit. They can create in us the heart of Christ. That's what he's talking about. Do you think, I mean, Jesus, the Son of God, it wasn't smooth sailing for Him. 
through his 33 years on this planet. I mean, it wasn't always smooth sailing. That whole crucifixion thing, real negative. Being betrayed, not happy, not a good time. Uh, having your followers um, uh, abandon you at your time of crisis, not so good. There's a lot of not good stuff that happened to Jesus. Don't be surprised. It's a, it's a great text. Hey, when bad stuff happens, don't be surprised. There's an author by the name of Brene Brown. She uh, came back to Christ. Kind of, she, she sort of grew up in church and then went away from the church, and now she came back to Christ. And, and there, I have about a, I don't know, 45-second sort of testimony of hers about her coming back to church. So, so watch this. Chris, you ready? You know, it's interesting because my, my return to faith was definitely around that breakdown. That's when I went, you know, but I went for the wrong reasons. I really went because I'm like, this, har this is hard and this hurts. And in all the midlife unraveling books, they say go back to church. That's what everybody does. So I went back to church thinking that it would be like um, an epidural, like it would take the pain away. Like I would just replace research with church. You know, and then church would make the pain go away. And then, it, you know, I write, all, I write in this book I'm working on right now that it was, you know, faith in church was not an epidural for, for me at all. It was like a midwife who just stood next to me saying, push. It's supposed to hurt a little bit, you know. Um, and so, yeah, so it, it was a completely new experience going back for me. Is there a better illustration of suffering leading to joy than childbirth? I don't know personally, nor do I ever want to know personally. Um, and every man in here should say amen. I mean, we don't really don't want, we don't care to know about it. But we hear from you ladies, and we believe you. We believe you. We don't have to go through it to believe you. We trust you. We know. It, it's suffering, and, and, and it's hardship. And, and, and there's times where you hate us uh, uh, during that moment um, for getting you in that uh, predicament. And we, we understand that. But what I do know is, I've yet, I've yet to see a mother who goes through the difficulty of childbirth not experience immediately this overwhelming joy. When, when, when they hand you that baby, it is, I've seen it four times with my wife. I've seen this explosion of joy when, like a minute ago, she was nearly dying. It was like really bad. It was suffering. It was real. It was, it was intense. And it goes from that to the next moment, this explosion of joy. And sometimes we suffer. And on the other side of that can be this explosion of joy. When Dallas Willard talks about carving out a satisfying life under the loving rule of God, look, God knows when we suffer. He understands it. Sometimes we do it, we, we go through it because it makes us better people. We live in a nation of constant discontentment. We are told just 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, that we need new and better we need a new car. We need a new house. We, we need whiter teeth. We need fresher breath. We need cleaner floors. We need hairier heads. I mean, we need new stuff. Skinnier bodies. Everybody, we, there's no wonder we can't carve out a satisfying life 
Because we are constantly told that we shouldn't be satisfied with our lives. And, and Paul was saying, listen, what a horrible way to live. Like whatever happens takes your joy away. There's a whole lot of whatever happening that can take your joy away if you let it. And, and here's, like, like there's a key to this. There's a way you can live with the fact that sometimes bad stuff happens. I'm going to give you the two key, two things. Number one, realize nobody's picking on you. It's not like the fates have conspired to beat the snot out of you. I'm going to tell you right now, that's just not the case. God loves you. He's not, he, God's not like playing a lottery and your number came up and he's going, I need to smite him. He, he, he's smite worthy. I, I'm going to do that. I, uh, I'm going to, I've been looking for somebody to smite. And your, your number came up. I, I mean, nobody's picking on you. Bad stuff happens to everybody. Everybody goes through fiery trials. That's why Peter said, don't be surprised. It happens to everyone. Nobody's picking on you. The second thing to realize is that even this can be for my good. As horrible as the thing you're going through in the moment might feel, as horrible as it might seem, as soul-wrenching as it might be, as utterly exhausting and exhausted you might feel, everything that you go through can be for your betterment spiritually. I mean, Paul writes about it in another book. We know all things work together for the good of those who love God. All things, negative things, whatever things, whatever things happen, and they can work for the good of those who love you. Nobody's picking on you. Um, here's the funny thing about kids. I, I've, I have four I've got, you know, they're 24, 22, 20, and 10. <laughs> uh, Miriam. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> look how old I am. I, I have a 10-year-old. It's really stupid. Uh, anyway, what, we, what, what, what I've observed, tell me if, I mean, you can tell me after. You don't have to, like, yell, yell it out. You're, that's stupid. Uh, but uh, uh, one of my observations is this. Um, at about 12 or 13, our children are insane. I mean, you're wondering, aren't you, if they're going to survive? They think stupid things. They do stupid stuff. They, they giggle, if you have girls, about everything. I mean, oh, there's a bee. <laughs> it's like, it's not funny. It could kill us. Uh, but anyway, uh, everything's fun. 12, 13. It's like they're, they, it's almost as if it's uh, invasion of the body snatchers. Some, some alien force has in, in invaded your, your child's brain and, and they are just insane they're just nuts and and you're patient and you're loving and you're kind <laughs> uh, theoretically uh and, and, and you put up with them and, and then what you notice is they they get to a point where it kind of turns and and now all of a sudden they're respectable human beings and you're thinking to yourself, well, there's a whole lot of years of, it's usually like when they're 24, or, you know, they get a little older. And you look back on, 
maybe the rebellion, and, and when they were just not thinking properly? I mean, how many times? I can't. I, I think back on my life, like when I was that age, and, and I, I, how many times my dad said, what are you thinking? You did what? What were what were what were you thinking? And the the problem is, I probably wasn't thinking. It, I, I mean, I just I wasn't thinking. I just did stuff. And there comes a point in your life where you start to think about the stuff that you're doing. Listen, difficult times help us get to the place where we are. Going through hard parts of life creating us the experiences that we need to become the person God wants us to. All things can work together for our good. They all, they all, they're all, God is shaping us through the difficulties in life. He, he, he's molding us. You have to understand that. And He's molding your kids, and it helps us be patient with them. So, number one, don't allow circumstances to steal your joy. Whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. For this is vitamin C for your soul. Now, the second verse, kind of interesting. He, he says, watch out for bullies. Every mama has probably said that to their, their kid. Hey, well, watch out, there are going to be some people. There going to be some people out there. There going to be some people you got to look out for. There'll be some people. Now, my little 10-year-old, she's sweet. She likes people. And, and every once in a while, we'll have to remind her now, at least there, there are some people that aren't like you, that they don't have your disposition, that they're, they're not looking out for your best interests. They don't care about your feelings. You have to watch. You have to watch. Now, Paul talks about a certain group, but it really is a, applies to all of us. But look what he says. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators. By the way, I don't think they're exchanging uh, Christmas cards. I mean, Paul is kind of negative. These people are Judaizers. I'll explain it in a minute. Who say you must be circumcised to be saved. Ba basically, he's saying, watch out for people who question what you believe. It's okay to be questioned about what you believe, but watch out. I had an email conversation with a, a lady from Michigan. That's where we used to pastor, and she was in my church. And she had seen something online that uh, gave her confusion. And it was a video of a guy, and he was making some claims, some sort of unchristian claims. And, and she sent me a link to the video, and, and this is her quote. She said, I know they're wrong, I just don't know why. And so I watched it, and I sent her some stuff, and we corresponded a little bit, and I gave her some resources well, the Judaizers were people who said, you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. It was Jesus plus circumcision. Really, it was circumcision plus Jesus. You had to become a Jew before you became a Christian. That, that was what they were saying, that Christ wasn't enough. And anybody who tells you that Christ isn't enough, they're not your friend. They're not telling you the truth. It's okay to be challenged. I don't, it's nothing wrong with being challenged. But understand something, there are some people who would like to dissuade you from believing it's only Jesus because it makes them feel better. They feel like they're superior to you. See, 
the goal for every believer is maturity in your faith. That's why when, when, we, when we get to teach here, a lot of times I'll say, okay, here's the context, because knowing the context helps you understand the Bible. You can read the Bible. I never want to dissuade you. But if you want to get deeper as a disciple, sometimes it's really nice to know what the context was, and it helps you understand the text a little bit better. And so that's why we do it. We explain some things. So these Judaizers were saying, hey, you know, you have to be, you have to be a Jew first, and then you become a Christian. And that, that was an immature, in fact, it was a false position. And we as parents, we want our kids to mature, don't we? I mean, I saw this cartoon the other day. Uh, male 38 still living with his parents. They asked him to keep him overnight so they could change the locks. Most of us want our kids to, to, you know, to, to grow up. And here's the thing about faith. We want our children to own their own faith. I, I've got daughters who are now old enough where it, their faith is theirs. Uh, they own it. Um, I think for a while you, they, they kind of piggyback on your faith. But at some point you want them to mature so they own their own faith. And so these Judaizers were saying, hey, you got to become a Jew first. And, and there was a comparison. Really, let me give you a comparison. One group professed to be the people of God, and one group was the people of God. The Judaizers versus the Christians. One group was religious, Judaizers. One was righteous. One group possessed an outward expression of their faith, and one displayed an inward change. They, they weren't the same. The real question is, who can be a child of God? Now, now look, again, Paul writes this different church, but he, he writes to them, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Don't you realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Where's the mention of circumcision there? Well, there is none because that's not what it takes to be a Christian. See, here's the deal. Every system of religion without relationship is false. If you're told that you have to do stuff in order to win God's favor, then you're being told something false. Uh, it, it could be 50 different things. Basically, what the Judaizers were saying is this is a process. It's not faith in Christ alone. Uh, remember Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory? How did you get a golden ticket? What did you have to do first? Anybody? You had to buy a chocolate bar. There's a process. Willie wasn't just throwing him out of, you know, the helicopter. You had to buy a chocolate bar. What, what the Judaizers were saying is, you have to become a Jew. We are special people selected by God, uh, very specially. And Paul calls them dogs. What's super funny about this is, Jews call Gentiles dogs. Now, when we, when we think of dogs, this is what we think of. Aww. Oh, oh, look at that. Oh. Uh, when Paul says dogs, this is what he's thinking of. Uh, dogs in that, uh, they didn't have them as pets. They kind of roamed around, much like, kind of like, you know, coyotes or something. I mean, they were, they were mangy and flea-bitten, and, and they lived in the dumps, and they scavenged for food, and occasionally they would attack people. And what the Judaizers were saying is, hey, we are special because we are God's chosen people. It's a lot like being from Kentucky. God likes us better. I mean, it's just a fact. It's just a fact. I'm sorry. I had to break it to you. All right, anyway. So, so the Judaizers, they, they kind of go back to this. Um, back, way back to Genesis, first book in the Bible. 
And God's talking to Abram, and he says, I'll make you very fruitful, I'll make nations of you, and kings will come from you, and I'll establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between you and me, and me and you, and your descendants after you, for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. We're going to make an agreement. You're going to be my people. Good things are going to happen through you, and all people on earth will be blessed because of you. And the Judaizers said, hey, this still applies. It's a lot like Casey Stengel, who, who was the manager for the Yankees. They won the 58 World Series, and he said, I couldn't have done it without my players. Uh, it was kind of uh, like that. What the Judaizers were saying was, we, we couldn't have done it without uh, Jesus. You know, uh, uh, we're chosen, and there's that Jesus piece. As if he's, like, subservient to being a Jew. Uh, let me tell you a story about this wealthy woman. She wanted a portrait painted. She, she understood that um, she had a bad uh, diagnosis, and she was about to die, and she was married, and and her last, kind of her, one of her last wishes was to have a portrait painted. And when she was sitting for the portrait, she told the artist, I'd like for you to paint a gigantic diamond ring on my finger. Like, really big. Uh, so big that if it actually existed, which it didn't, if it actually existed, it would be worth more than my husband's fortune. So Paint it that way. The artist did what he was told. They hung portrait prominently in the home over the mantle well unfortunately she passed away and the widow began to date a young lady about half his age and they were kind of getting serious and this woman a uh, younger woman she saw the portrait and she said uh, unless you give me a ring bigger than that ring I'm not going to marry you now the first wife, there's some brilliance to this if you think about it. What is a ring? A ring's a symbol, right? It's a symbol. It's not anything but a symbol. I wear this ring as a symbol of my commitment to my wife. It's a symbol. If I take it off, I'm still committed to my wife. It's just a symbol. If, however, the ring becomes the thing, as it was with the younger woman, well, then it's wrong. What the Judaizers were doing was they were making the symbol of circumcision the thing. They were making it the commitment. And a lot of people, they mistake stuff. They sort of think this is what makes them a Christian. You'll hear people, Cliff, I know you've heard these before. Uh, my, my uncle was a preacher. Like, somehow by family osmosis, now I become Christian because my daddy or my uncle was a preacher. That's my favorite. But they'll say, I, I belong to the church. Um, I I've been baptized. These are symbols. Not the thing. They're symbols. I I'm a church member. I tithe. Those are great things, but those are symbols. They're not the thing. The Judaizers made the symbol the thing. And Paul was like, don't do that. In fact, he said this, you're not a Jew if you're only a Jew physically. Uh, true circumcision is not outside. A true Jew is one who is a Jew inside. True circumcision is done in the heart. It's done by the Spirit. These people who are telling you something different than that are simply wrong. 
The symbol isn't the thing. Which leads me to the third point. Cling to truth. And this is what he says. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in ourselves, in human effort. See, Paul was real big on this. It's Jesus and only Jesus. It's not being good. It's not being American. It's not having an uncle who was a preacher. It, it's Jesus and only Jesus. I love it. We rely on what Christ has done, not what we have done. It's not the symbol of circumcision or any other symbol that makes us saved. We, we are saved because of what Christ has done. We, don't, we, t- we, have, we have no confidence in anything other than Jesus to save us. See, here's the deal. Salvation is only through faith in Jesus, plus or minus nothing. Again, the words of Paul, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not from yourself. It's a gift from God. Not by works, so that no man can boast. Let me end with this. There are basically two teachings about salvation in the world. One of them says, I can earn it. And one of them says, only Jesus gives it to me. One is fake and one is true. And Paul, offering the greatest motherly advice that has ever been offered, says to his people at his church, depend on nothing but Christ. Only Jesus All Jesus, all grace, nothing but grace. I I love my mother. My mother um, is 83 years old. She lives in Kentucky. Um, When I was born, I weighed 10 pounds and 11 ounces. I I owe her, uh, really, uh, for forever. I'm going to owe her forever. Now, when I go back home to Kentucky, and I, I go two, three times a year, Mama has a to-do list, a honey-do list for her favorite child, her only son, and her youngest. Hallelujah. Um, This year, when I go back to Mama's, she wants me to um, seal the driveway. That's 700 miles long. I mean, it's the longest driveway on the planet. So I get to go to Lowe's and buy those, you know, five-gallon buckets of black blah and, uh, and a squeegee. And I'm going to squeegee the driveway with black stuff, black paint or whatever it is. Seal the driveway. Now, I'm not convinced the driveway needs sealing. I'm pretty sure it doesn't. Here's my driveway. <laughs> it go to pot. I mean, it could go to dust. I, I couldn't care But mama, mama wants the driveway sealed. So let me ask you, when I go to Kentucky this summer, what do you think I'm going to do? I'm going to seal me a driveway. Because mama wants the driveway sealed. Now, am I doing that because mama won't love me if I don't do it? No. I'm doing it mostly because mama going to have country ham and... uh, uh, Man, Mama takes care of me when I go home. She feeds me right. She takes care of me. I I do things for my mother not because I want her to love me. I do things for my mother because she loves me. 
first. Always. No matter what. I don't do things for mama to make her love me. I do things for mama because she loves me. Too many people get confused. I've got to... I've got to do stuff for God so He can love me. It is so wrong. It, it couldn't be more wrong. The Judaizers are saying, you have to be circumcised to be in the club so that then you can take the next step. And Paul was like, those people are dogs. They're evil. It is so wrong. You don't earn God's favor. You have God's favor. You don't have to do stuff for God to love you. He already loves you. And his message, and don't let, don't let circumstances steal your joy. And don't let people bully you into thinking that what you don't think, and believing what you don't believe. And don't you ever let anybody tell you you need something more than Jesus. Because you don't need anything more than Jesus. And when he went to the cross, he did it all. He did it all. There's nothing else to be done. He did it all. I think that's pretty good advice. Father, we thank you for the day you've given us and for the opportunities that you provide for us. We thank you that you love us even when we're unlovely and unlovable and rebellious and we do stupid things and we disobey and we dishonor and you still love us. Thank you for loving us in spite of ourselves. And help us to be confident in that love and if we aren't help us to get to a place where we are we ask it in Jesus name Amen